Today's episode is with Christine Goodner, who is a Suzuki violin teacher, and that means she teaches kiddos how to play the violin, which I think is so fascinating. She's also the author of the book Beyond the Music Lesson and has a free download at her website, um, which is suzukitriangle.com. I'll put the link in the show notes, but the download is 15 ways to help your music student succeed. So hope you guys enjoy the show. I thought it was really fun. Welcome to the same 24 hours podcast with Meredith Atwood. We all have the same 24 hours each day, and it's what we do with those hours that makes all the difference between our health, happiness, and success. podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Atwood. Today's guest is Christine Goodner. Hi, Christine. Hi, I'm excited to be here. Awesome. So Christine is, I'm I'm so excited to talk to her. She is an author of the book called Beyond the Music Lesson, but she's a Suzuki violin, well, maybe I better let you say that, Suzuki violin teacher. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. So in other words, she teaches kids how to play the violin, which I think is so fascinating. And I can't wait to hear some of the stories that you have got to have. So let's start out with how did you get into music? Sure. So I grew up in a really musical family. My dad was getting his doctorate in music when I was a baby, really. And so I grew up with his polka band practicing in the living room and lining up my little dolls. (laughs) Yes. What is is polka? I, I feel like I know, but what what does it's it sound like, like? German folk music, like um papa, um papa. Okay, that's right. Listen <laughs> yeah. to you, you're such a music teacher because I, I wanted to be like bom 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 bom, but that's not it. It's um papa. Yes. <laughs> uh, okay, so polka man, that's that's yes. interesting. Then, Number one, I would and I would spend my Saturdays going along with him to the youth orchestra he conducted, and so I guess at like two and a half, I found a bow to a, actually a string bass and begged him to play the instrument that went with it. And so that wasn't quite my size. So I got, I got a violin instead and that's how it all started. So I was just under three when I started lessons. So were you, did you pick it up right away? Cause I mean, I have a friend that like her son just started playing piano and she's post on Instagram and he apparently just can play by ear and he's playing Billy Joel and it's incredible. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. Cause I was a music student who sucked. I'm tone deaf. And I played all the instruments, but I really sucked at it, and I can't sing. And it was always a real struggle, even though I loved music. So were you nat- coming from so a musical family? Your dad was musical. Was your mom musical? Yeah. Well, in a way, she played um, drums. They met in the marching band in high school. Oh, so I she was it. musical, but not quite, you know, I would say not quite to the degree my dad was. <laughs> she was a little bit more forceful with her music. That's right. That's right. <laughs> okay, so, so you, you grew up with music, and you were... Did it come easy to you, like from at age three? I think the musical part did, but the physical part not as much. So I was sort of slow, a slow learner, which I think makes me a good teacher because I understand how to break things down. Like yeah. I understood and felt the music, but physically doing it, I think I was slower at than some. So, well, how fast does someone? How fast does a three-year-old learn a string not instrument? Very, <laughs> anyway. Not very fast. No, not very fast. But I mean, even like late grade school, middle school, I felt like some of my peers maybe moved along quicker than I, but you know, I stuck with it and I loved it. So that was the main thing. You started with the violin. Yes. And what else do you play? Um, I I took a viola in high school. I I kind of decided. 
Viola is <laughs> Viola is bigger than a violin, although it's not a big violin. People don't like that that uh, reference to it, but it has the strings more like a cello. So lower strings, bigger instrument, bigger sound, deeper sound. Now, do you so, play the viola? Is it on the floor as well, or I mean, no. that sounds dumb. <laughs> no, that's the cello. The, the cello is like you said. Yeah. Um, yep. The viola, you hold it like Viola's a violin. Up on your shoulder. Yes, it's just a bigger okay. instrument. Uh, read a different clef. But Deeper viola sound. players get offended when you say it's a big violin. Oh, yes. <laughs> That's so funny. Yep. Because it's totally different, right? Different strings, different everything. Right. Although lots of parts of it are the same. Like I picked it up in high school thinking like, this is my own thing. I only did violin because my parents influenced me. And, you know, it's, it's kind of the same thing in some ways. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's like much playing the trumpet or the cornet. You know, yeah, exactly. Like, I played the trumpet and like okay well yes exactly yeah oh, <laughs> related but different yeah i mean yeah. i was in the band too so i get to knock on band humor even though yes. strings are orchestra and all that and i know that but i feel like i can make nerd jokes because i totally That's did right. it i was in marching band oh, fun. <laughs> fun. um nice. okay so viola what else do you play i know you play other things because you're musical well yeah i played guitar growing up i played clarinet growing up i can like find the notes on the piano, but I am not a pianist by any stretch. So I really focus now on violin and viola. So, okay. So yeah. where did that lead you as far as like through high school and through college and kind of where to where you are now? Yeah, I played violin and then viola in my school orchestra. I was lucky to have a school that had a great orchestra and then in the local youth symphony in Portland here. And then I played in the PSU Symphony where I went to school. And then I had kids really quite young. And so I kind of put performing aside and taught along with raising my kids. So I got a degree in education, actually, which I use every day when I'm teaching. I'm actually really grateful for that. And I do a lot of long-term teacher training um, on string instruments. So I'm sure my skills are are keeping up. And uh, I know what I'm doing really well with my <laughs> string students. So <laughs> it's a good balance, I think. How did you get into teaching? I actually thought I would be a grade school, elementary school teacher. And a friend of the family, while I was in college, just had a daughter who wanted to learn violin. And they asked if I had some spare time, could I give her some lessons? And I was really impacted by what a connection you can make one-on-one with a student that way. And, you know, not just about teaching them the instrument, but just their development as a person. And it really excited me. And so I decided I was going to go that direction instead. So the Suzuki method, I can't even talk. Um, What is it about that method to teach children a string? Is it all string instruments? Is it the bigger violin? Is it the violin? Um, What what is it about that method? How does that kind of break down? Yeah, it started on the violin. Suzuki lived in Japan and um, his dad actually owned a violin factory. So he picked up a violin and sort of came up with his method on the violin. But now it's in recorder and I think trumpet. So it's branched out. It's piano, all, all sorts of instruments. But it's really technically based. And so students learn a lot about playing the technique of their instrument before a piece of music is put in front of them. And it used to be it had a bad reputation that people couldn't read music if they were Suzuki students. But, you know, I don't know any of my colleagues these days that don't really emphasize reading music well. So it just comes later. First, we we learn how to play well, get a beautiful sound, hold things the right way, all of that. And I think that works well for young children. So, yeah. Oh, that makes sense. So they literally could get by without reading music. So that's why it has a bad reputation. But Right, but you don't want them to. <laughs> yes. No, because eventually, if you're going to be in the orchestra, you have to read music. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So that just comes a little later. And, you know, if someone's three, they're not going to 
be reading anything at that point anyway. So it's a good it's a good reason to start really young kids on that. On that well, method, how did you sure. teach kids on the strings before the Suzuki method? Same. I think they they waited till kids were older. Oh, okay. And a lot of times people were given a test to see if they have the talent to play versus Suzuki's idea was really everyone has the ability to play in some capacity. And so you teach to that child's best capabilities and you don't, you know, shut anybody away because they don't have talent from a test or something like that. Right. So yeah. I thought about getting my daughter on a string instrument um, when she was about four and I pursued it a little bit. I'm kind of a lazy pursuer when it comes to certain things. And this was one of those that I looked into and they said, well, you have to learn it as well. And I was like, nope, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> like, how do, do the parents have to also learn a, a string instrument to have a child being schooled in a string instrument? Some some teachers do have the parents learn right along because I think it gives you some empathy about how difficult it is and helps you explain <laughs> explain how to do it. I don't have I don't require parents to do that. So you you know you can ask around if someone's looking for for a teacher and that kind of turns them off. Who allows Slack parents like? <laughs> yes, Slack I do ask. Parents. Yeah, I do ask that parents just pay close attention because you know a young child like that is not going to remember what to practice on their own. So you do have to coach them through. You're kind of the the practice partner all week long, but um, whether or not you have to play yourself varies for sure. So let's hear some funny stories. Like give me some funny kid stories. I know you've got them. I can't imagine that, you know, the violin's such a delicate sounding instrument um, as it, you know, just in itself. And so like, what does a three-year-old playing a violin sound like? <laughs> <laughs> I spend a lot of time before they ever, at least in the lesson, put their bow on the string because I really could not teach all day if it sounded scratchy right. and horrible like you think of a violin. So, but um, I, I did have a really sensitive little four-year-old last year who just would sit in the corner and be so upset because she'd say, it doesn't sound beautiful. And oh, she would no. Because, like, you know, we ask students to listen to violinists playing so they have right. some sense of what they're trying to do. And, you know, some of those little violins just don't don't get the get the same tone as we're looking for. But you know, I have students now who are quite accomplished and in intermediate level musicians, but who at three would just, you know, roll on the floor for a lot of the lesson. <laughs> and, you know, you know, we do these little exercises with the bow. And I had one a few weeks ago that like put the bow up his nose instead of making the bow hold in front of him. <laughs> oh so my gosh. I always say my job is never boring. I can never, I can never have a dull day. That is for sure. Do you have any concern with music at such a young age causing like perfectionism issues? Like the little girl who's like, it doesn't sound beautiful. I mean, right. it, how do you facilitate that? I mean, how do you handle it? Do you feel that music puts a, a like, let's talk pros and cons of it. Sure, sure. Well, I think a lot of it has to do with the tone that we set as the parent and the teacher. Um, one of my teacher trainers for my early childhood classes in Suzuki that I teach just says like the practice environment is really the tone that we as the adult set for the child. And mm -hmm. so, you know, some children are going to just come with that perfectionist mentality. You know, I see three-year-olds who could care less how it sounds and then three-year-olds who are quite worried about it. And so I, I don't think that comes from the music, but I said, I think it brings it to our attention when mm -hmm. a student has that, that, uh, that feeling about how they approach anything. And so I think music, if we do it well, can be a way to help students work through some of those things. Um, Cause it's going to come out in school or right. that's in true. other. Yeah. yeah. So if we approach it, like this is the, a problem from music, I think that's different than we're going to work through this struggle we're having with music. And if we take that tact, I think we can just help the child 
work with themselves instead of against themselves. So I think it can be a great thing in that case. Better to find that out at three versus 13. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Right. Yes. But it's not easy as a parent or the teacher. It's not easy. So. So what, what are some of the big successes, like kind of wins as a teacher that you've felt? Yeah. Um, you know, like from a student, as far as like, you know, you, you worked with a student from a young age and then you know, like three or four years down the road or 10, I don't, how long have you been teaching? Oh, like 18 years, like 18 I guess. Years, yeah. So you've got yeah. like the grown up students, right. that, you know, right. how, like what are some of the successes you've experienced? Like I have a student um, who's a junior in high school now who all through grade school would just be so beside herself nervous at recitals that she would make the tiniest mistake and just walk off the stage. Oh, wow. And I, you know, you just felt so bad for her because she was really uncomfortable. And I tried not to make a big deal about it. You know, you're just proud of her for going up there. But I would say three or four years ago, she started to be able to go through the whole, a whole piece confidently. And even if there was a little blip, she could keep going. And I've seen her join a youth orchestra and she's taking like AP music history right now. And I think music's really given her a sense of confidence and learning how to, how to deal with her own nerves. And, um, she may not major in music, but I think she'll always have music in her life. So things like that. What kept her, like, what do you think kept her going? Was, was it her love of music or did she just have parents that really wanted her to do it? Like for me, I feel like if I had walked off the stage, I'd be done. <laughs> this is not for me. I'm out. Right. And as adults, for sure. So we're lucky right. with kids. We have a chance. I think it's just a lot of conversations and not making a big deal about it in the moment when that happened, but just talking through before the next time we play, you know, okay, we're nervous. That's just part of being human and caring about what we're going to do and how do we kind of make friends with that feeling and, yeah. and go on anyhow and I think for her, we played a lot. We go and play by the Salvation Army Bell at our local grocery store for Christmas, or we'll play out in the community. And I think just getting a comfort level with putting yourself out there, you know, people are looking at you and what you do and music is yeah. kind of a personal thing. So, And I think it's really interesting when you can expose children to failure really early. <laughs> right. Um, you know, our son In a safe is, way, yeah. In a safe way, yeah. Our yeah. son's playing baseball, and uh, we always joke that when he started playing baseball at like four, he would strike out intentionally. Like he would just not even look and just swing. And then he would drag his bat behind him while staring at me all the way to the dugout. Like you <laughs> made me do this. I hate you, mom. And, and the other parents thought it was so funny. And I wasn't, we weren't forcing him to play baseball in a way that it appeared. <laughs> we were just <laughs> like, you know, you're going to play a sport, This, you know, pick one. And he, he picked baseball. And so it was a matter of you started the commitment to baseball this season, so you're going to finish it. And then the next year he would say, okay, I want to do it. And then he'd get in it and not want to do it. But, you know, fast forward five years, he's now 10 and he's he's um, started pitching, which I would have never, ever in a million years put money down that that would be him because, you know, he used to drag his bat and stare at me and hate me <laughs> in every baseball game. But this last season he had um, – he got put – uh, he got put in the game when they were down like six and the bases were loaded and he got put in to pitch. And he, I think it was only like his maybe fifth game pitching and it, it went south very quickly. Mm -hmm. um, he, he didn't have much of a, a game to, to start with just, you know, being down. But I mean, I watched it kind of fall apart 
and the way he handled it was really amazing, you know, and to see how he handled failure and, you know, quote unquote failure. It wasn't right, failure. Right. It's little league. I'm very grounded in that. But I think, you know, I can see how those life experiences, I don't know that when I was going through them as a kid that I appreciated them, but to see it from a parenting side, he, he grew so much in that game. And, right. and so I think that's kind of the same way, I guess, music can impact like having a recital, right? And really not doing so great on stage. You, you learn how to either game up or run off or whatever. It's, right. You learn what your mechanisms are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it's really a healthy thing just to learn to grapple with all that when we're young and the stakes are low and we have lots of supportive people around us. That's it's not a bad thing. So as you long said as we, when uh, the stakes are low. I mean, are there... Yeah. Are music parents like baseball parents where the stakes can be like super high? Well, you know, there's music competitions, people, you know, yeah. or auditions for seats in orchestras and things can, you know, if you decide you're going to become a professional musician, that's, there's a lot of competition for that. So I think when we're young, it's the time to kind of learn how to handle all that. And, and you know, you might not be a professional musician, but there's other things in life that, that take that same, I think, mental toughness or ability to roll with whatever happens. How do you handle the difficult parents? You know, the longer I teach, the more I talk to parents before we ever start lessons. <laughs> um, because I I think part of what I used to term as difficult parents were really parents I hadn't really explained what I expected to particularly well. Um, so I just have a, a lot of the first four weeks of lessons are just me kind of saying, like, this is how it's going to work. Here's how you can help your child succeed. Mm -hmm. And here's how I'm going to help you. So please let me know what I can do to support you. And I think that cuts down on a ton of it. Um, there's always, you know, there's always people here and there. Right. But yeah. Most people who agree with what we talk about in those first few weeks and keep going on, you know, it's, it goes all right. And we do parent teacher conferences once a year. And I just try to make sure the parents goals and the students goals and my goals are kind of all in synergy with each other. And we all know we're trying to work together. It's about managing expectations, right? I think so. I yeah. think so. Well, that's yeah. funny because um, the baseball, the guy that we have um, who he coaches, he helps James, our son, with lessons. And the first day he met with um, James, he James was not a great baseball player. He just was – he didn't grow up playing it. And so we wanted to give him a shot because he had to have some lessons in order to be able to, you know, play – to enjoy the sport, right? Because it was just – it was pulling teeth for him. And so, sure. um, then the coach, the first couple of times he met with us, we were like, well, you know, is everything okay? Do you want to, and he's like, I'm not interviewing, I'm not checking out James. I'm checking out you guys <laughs> <laughs> to make sure I want to work with you. And we were like, we didn't understand that. But the more we got involved in baseball, we realized it very much that, you know, you have to have some interaction with the coaches and you want to see what kind of personalities are. Cause like baseball right. parents get, crazy like right. we, we at the last game like one of the parents was kind of coming off the rails and I was like it's little league right <laughs> and my husband's like shut up and I'm like but <laughs> it is it's little league and someone over there needs to be reminded <laughs> right right yes so um yeah that's important so, yeah like music there's a certain point where you have to remind them that it's little league right right and just it's about the child and what they need and not our our own egos and, you know, living vicariously through our kids and all of that stuff oh, we don't yeah. realize we're dealing with. So Yeah. And you see yeah. that a lot, I bet. Yeah. Yeah. But that's just, you know, 
I think as long as we have conversations and, and keep refocusing on what's important, most people become easy to work with in my experience. So let's talk about your book, Beyond the Music Lesson, because that's where I kind of feel like it's going. Um, oh, sure. Yeah. So what is this book about? So there's this great book Suzuki himself wrote about the Suzuki method, maybe back in the 50s. And it's wonderful. And it tells his philosophy and how the how the method was formed. And I always have parents read it before they start lessons. But then it doesn't really have anything like, what do we do in modern day practically to make the method work? And so I was always like, where is this book? Yeah, I want this book to give to the parents in my studio. And so I finally decided, well, I think I'm going to take a stab at writing it because it doesn't <laughs> appear to be out there. So I, I took my own teaching experience and some um, expert information. And then I also interviewed a bunch of uh, long-term Suzuki teachers in my field. And so I just kind of put together an easy to read, it's maybe 150 pages or so book for parents so that they could just maybe turn to one chapter if they're having a struggle or just get an overview of like, what can I do as a parent to help my child do well in their music lessons? And I hope it's really encouraging and helpful. Yeah, so, I love yeah. that. I love that. I, the book I wrote, it was kind of born out of the same thing. Like I was mm -hmm. starting triathlon and I was like, there is no book that helps explain what I need to know. <laughs> right. And then when I got further down the road, I was like, okay, I'm going to write that book. So it sounds like you did the same thing. Yes, exactly. And yeah. It's awesome. So where can people find your book and, and you and, and all your things? Sure. So um, the book is on Amazon and it's also on book depository. If people are um, outside of the United States, that seems to be the cheapest way to get it. Um, you can get a Kindle version and also barnesandnoble.com. And if you are looking for more information, you can go to suzukitriangle.com. That's my website. And you can find out more information about the book or me or anything like that. So what does the triangle and the Suzuki triangle stand for? Oh, yeah. So uh, in the Suzuki method, we just talk about the, the triangle made between the student and then the parent and the teacher. And so that that all has to work in synergy um, for the Suzuki method to work. So. So what is some advice that you have for parents who have young kids? Like what age is the best? Like, you know, you, you start your kid in ballet at eight and you've totally missed the window. What, what is right. the window for violin and Suzuki method? I think it varies. I, I personally really like about age four because I think they're not in school and tired from too many activities yet at that age. And they are used to just, learning hard physical things. So the violin's just kind of another thing they're working hard at. It doesn't seem to phase them where, you know, a teenager might pick up the violin and find it really a physical challenge to play. Mm -hmm. And parents are already really involved with children that age or still really involved. So I really like that age. I would find a teacher who's really experienced with young kids. If you decide to start a child that age, not every teacher wants to teach that age or has the experience, but I really love that preschool age. And there's Suzuki early childhood classes that you can take, you know, from birth on really that can prepare students for lessons. So if you have a young child, that's a good idea. How do you find a teacher besides the Google? Is there like a reputable website that you can go get reviews? Like, how do you find a teacher? Yeah, on suzukiassociation.org. Okay. Yeah, the Suzuki Association, excuse me, the Suzuki Association <laughs> of the Americas um, has a great listing of teachers and their training and people who are there would be great. And I would definitely just set up a chance to talk to any teacher that you want to work with. Because like we say, the parent and the coach or teacher relationship is really important. And you want to find someone as a parent that you really feel like you can work with and that you want 
you know, speaking into your child's life for the next 10 plus years. So that's Oh, wow. Too. 10 plus years. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I guess if you're in the triangle, it's not like you can just get out of that triangle. <laughs> <laughs> and even if you as the parent, you know, the parent steps back eventually. But like I have that student now who's a junior in high school, I think I've taught her since the third grade. So she started a little older. But we were just saying the other day, like how many years we've been seeing each other every week, you know, that's a wow. big impact on the life of a kid. And it's exciting to me as a teacher. And as a parent, I think it's it's important to find someone who's a good fit for that. So yeah. So where you're located in Portland? Near Portland. It's Hillsboro, Oregon. It's about 40 minutes outside of Portland. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And so what kind of financial commitment is the violin? <laughs> Yeah. From, from from age four to high school. <laughs> wow, I have not added up like what all the costs would be, but it is like the just the instrument itself is not cheap, um, cheaper than a piano for for sure. But right. um, yeah, you have to keep in mind an instrument that you're going to have to upkeep with new strings and things every year, and then just weekly lessons. So it, it's definitely a commitment. But I'm not sure. You know, it's that different than uh, many other things like sports or dance. Right. You know, that, have you found that people can can do both, like a sport and music, or does it tend to be one or the other? I feel like people can do a sport and music, but students who are doing a lot of sports sometimes sometimes struggle to keep up. You know, you do have to practice when people. Sometimes people just think about the lesson is in our schedule, right. but you also have to have like practice every day in your schedule. Um, and there's not a coach organizing that for you like sports. So right. uh, yeah, just keeping in mind the practice commitment. I just had a student who had to stop lessons because he's one of the top fencers in the country for his age. So he went from age four through, I guess he's a freshman in high school this year and then had to stop lessons because his fencing is just too, too time consuming at this point. So um, he likes some, pokey things. He, likes, he does. <laughs> what his mom like, said, give him a sharp object. And he's happy. <laughs> yeah, she knew from a young age, she's like, violin or fencing? <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> or but I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure he'll always love music and be involved in it. But sometimes, you know, you know, on another hand, someone might decide they want to be a professional musician and start entering competitions and maybe they would have to give up their sport. So, yeah. I hate that our kids are not musical, but my husband and I are not musical people. I did not have a polka band growing up. <laughs> and I, you know, they started sports and, and I think, you know, and time has gone so fast. I feel like, you know, they're, they're almost nine and 10 and I'm like, oh my gosh, they don't know how to play the piano. And to me, I feel as if I've really mucked up parenting wise that I haven't had my kids do music lessons of any sort and you know they have the the recorder at school right and that's it and I think oh my gosh parenting fail so no. I mean what do you think about that do you do you do you have like a philosophy that all children should be exposed to music like what if my kid is a genius and I don't know it <laughs> I doubt well, I it think, they don't sound think, musical <laughs> I think it's good that you're doing that you get the recorder in school and things like that you know I don't think every person in the world needs to be a musician just like not every person in the world needs to be an athlete um i think it's just good to have music in our lives though and so listening to great music or exposing them to interesting concerts i know in portland here our our symphony has been putting on harry potter like on a screen behind the symphony and then the symphony plays oh, the cool. soundtrack and you know there's ways to expose kids to music and just have them appreciate what goes into it and what it involves even if they're not an active musician themselves so, Christine, this podcast is called The Same 24 Hours, and it comes from the idea that we all have the same 24 hours in our day, and how we use those 24 hours makes us happy or successful and or able to play the big violin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> 
I know you like how I keep going for that. Um, so what is something that you do on a daily basis that you think contributes to your health and happiness? For me, I think it's getting up early. I, I teach a lot, but I try to get up pretty early in the morning and do something creative, whether that's writing or practicing um, every day so that, you know, by eight or 9 a.m., I usually feel pretty satisfied. Like whatever else happens today, I feel like I've had some time yeah. to kind of do something I love and that kind of feeds who I am. And um, that makes me a better teacher for sure. And I think it helps me get a lot more done as well. I find that that's a very common theme, that and meditation um, mm. for people's success and, and well-being. And, and I think that's the reason I get up and if I get a workout in before my day starts, then I am a nicer person. <laughs> and for <laughs> right. me, that's, that's, you know, it's that time carving out what's important to you to have quiet time. And my meditation is working out or, you know, I, I can't really sit there and do and be in my own thoughts. That's terrifying to me, but you know, having that morning space, that's definitely a common theme. And um, I get it. So, well, thanks for taking nice. the time. I'm, I'm real. I was really excited to talk to you because I just think it's, it's fascinating. The violin is fascinating to me. And I think, um, a lot of people enjoy hearing about it and, and having the connection to follow you on social media and, and see what you're up to. So thanks so much. Yes. Thank you. It's been fun. All right. We'll talk soon. Okay. Thanks. Bye. Bye.